0: Here's Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: I mean, think about it in your own life. How often you're serving someone and you're ministering to someone and you're trying to convince them that this is what the Bible says. You don't want to argue with them. I'm not interested in arguing. I'm not interested in getting to some kind of spiritual theological fight. This is what the Bible says. This is what God wants you to do. And haven't you found it to be true? When you learn what God says and then you apply it in your life, don't things go so much smoother? Don't you avoid so much consequence and difficulty? This is what the Bible says, and this is what God wants you to do.
0: This is amazing grace. This is unfailing. Hi there, and again, welcome to Abounding Grace. Speaking of welcomes, we'll take a look today at the welcome Jesus received on his way into Jerusalem. It's the last week of the life of Christ on earth and his last public appearance before going to the cross. He receives a royal welcome, but soon the welcome will turn to jeers. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in John chapter 12 and the triumphal entry. John chapter 12,
1: In John chapter 12 is, we left off in verse 12 of John chapter 12. Jesus is in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, amazingly, has been raised from the dead. It's an exciting time in Bethany. We have focused on verse 3 a little bit. As Mary there took this very valuable bottle of oil of spikenard and poured it over the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair. We learned the beauty of the fragrance of worship and true worship. We also learned the beauty of the fragrance of sacrificial giving. And it's an exciting time in Bethany. It's also an exciting time in Jerusalem. As now we turn our attention to the last week, really this whole time, this whole chapter has been the last week of Jesus life. The last few days, John will spend the rest of the book all the way through chapter 22 on the last week of Jesus life. You remember John wrote his gospel so that those that might read it would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes sense to me that half of his more than half of his gospel would be dedicated to the death Burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus lived, that he died for the forgiveness of your sins and that he was buried but rose again and he's alive today. That today if you would turn your life away from your sins, away from your sinful past, away from your own control, away from doing things your own way, if you would turn your life and surrender, turn it away from the past and surrender your life to God today, believing on his death, burial, and resurrection, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the rest of the chapter will be looking at all of the circumstances around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus but in chapter twelve of verse of chapter twelve, verse twelve, we find that the next day, this would be Palm Sunday. A great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel." Then verse fourteen, when Jesus, uh, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. What an exciting time. Palm Sunday, Jesus, he comes in. The Passion Week begins. Scripture is being fulfilled. Prophecy is coming to pass. It's a very exciting time. You see, Jerusalem during this time, during the Passover season, is filled with people. Jerusalem at Passover was the delight of the Jews, but the despair of the Romans, Thousands of devout Jews from all over the world arrived in the holy city. Their hearts filled with excitement and nationalistic fervor. The population of Jerusalem would more than triple during this feast, making it necessary for Roman military units to be on special alert. They live with the possibility that some enthusiastic, jealous a Jewish zealot would kill a Roman official or incite some riot. So, was always a, so there's tension going on, there's excitement going on, Messiah's coming in, and here he is fulfilling scriptures. It's, it's a city overflowingly packed with people. How many people? We're not quite sure. But Josephus tells us that they would, at this time, this particular Passover, they counted some 250,000 lambs being sacrificed. Now when you do the math compared with the instruction of the law that one lamb would be for every 10 people, there's a couple million people in Jerusalem at this time. Because also remember the law dictated that every Jewish male... 12 years old and above that lived within a 15 mile radius of Jerusalem was mandatory to worship at this feast. Actually at three feasts, Passover being one of them. So a lot of excitement. I mean, they got the palm branches out. They're quoting the scriptures in verse 13. That's Psalm 118, verse 26. In verse 15, that's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Scripture is flowing. Prophecies being fulfilled. It's an exciting time, an amazing scene. But not all is what it appears. Haven't you found that to be true? Uh, What's the saying? You don't judge a book by its cover. But often we do that. We kind of see the cover. It kind of gets us interested. Then we open it up and find out, oh man, this is not what I expected. And not all is what it appears in the life of Jesus right now. If we were just reading this, we would conclude this is a very exciting, wonderful time. And if we were to turn the page, more exciting, wonderful times would follow. But that's not the case. You see, Jesus, he doesn't judge by the outward. But he judges by the inward. And there's something going on in Jerusalem right now that we need to be reminded of so that we don't get too caught up in the crowd and the excitement of the crowd. So turn back, would you, to Matthew chapter 23, And let's notice what's going on in the hearts of the people here so that we can gain some context of the environment. It's a very worshipful time. It's a very exciting time, but it's also a very religious time where like the Pharisees of old, Jesus would say to them, hey, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. It's a very lifeless time, even though there's excitement, there's a loudness to it, there, you know, the palm branches are flying, the Scripture's being quoted. But here, you'll remember, Jesus understood the people of Jerusalem as he laments over them in Matthew 23, verse 37. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her, How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen. Gathers her chicks under her wings. But notice, you were not willing. That's a heart issue. A heart issue. You're not willing. I've wanted to gather you, but there's an unwillingness. See verse 38. Your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's an unwillingness upon the hearts of the people. I mean, if you look at it from the outside, you're like, wow, how impressive, how wonderful. But one thing you notice about Jesus throughout his ministry is that he's not very impressed with the crowds. Crowds don't move him. As a matter of fact, the pattern of his life was if a crowd was gathered, he would preach the gospel to them and then get out. You never really read of Jesus looking to Peter and go, man, Peter, can you, man, this is amazing how many people showed up for this event. No, he doesn't do that. He often will withdraw himself from the crowds to be alone with the Father. And if a crowd would gather, he'd take an opportunity to preach the kingdom of God to them and preach repentance to them. But he wasn't impressed with crowds. And it's too bad that we're too impressed with crowds. Because here's a crowd that should have known they were students of the Word. And here's a crowd that should have expected the coming of Messiah because they were listeners of the Word. But this is a crowd that failed to respond because they're not doers of the word. Because I believe many of the people here crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he, is coming in the name of the Lord. Not too long from now, out of one side of their mouth, they're crying, Hosanna. Out of the other side of their mouth, they cry, crucify him, crucify him. A very fickle group. You know, that is a problem with you and me. We're very fickle people. We're Humans are fickle people where you're up one day down the other, happy one day, not so happy the next, excited and then not so excited. I mean a real simple illustration of that can come to us from the sports world, football in particular. There is a certain team in a certain city that was so excited about the quarterback coming to town. It was the quarterback they've always dreamed about, The one that would take them all the way to win the Super Bowl. The one that, yes, yes, this is the one. Well, that very same quarterback in that very same city with that very same, very famous football team, if you check the Twitter feeds lately, those same people were saying, fire the guy. Get rid of him. He's horrible. There's no offense. Do you guys know what team I'm talking about? Very fickle. I mean, they even have a phrase for that, you know, not only fickle, but very critical. They call it Monday morning quarterbacking. And I don't know about you, I, I notice a difference when that certain football team in that certain city wins, because the city is just excited. The city's there's a noticeable happiness. Now, I moved here from Southern California seven, almost 17 years ago with my family. I grew up in a city that had all kinds of stuff going on all the time. Football teams coming and going, baseball teams, multiple teams, so that if one lost or didn't lose, it didn't really matter. The city didn't worship football like other cities. Oh, um, did I say that? <laughs> it was just like, you know, everything's going on. But in some cities, you know, that's, all, that's what they focus on. Our city would be included. If you haven't guessed what city I'm referring to yet, that would be Denver. Denver. And the Denver Broncos. There's a big push for that football team. When they win, everybody's happy. High five and King Supers. How you doing? Oh no, you take this lane. No, you take this lane. You know, you're walking through Safeway. Nice loaf of bread that you got today. I know we won. When they lose, there is a palpable sucking of wind away and man, nobody's happy anymore. No high-fiving. You start to see fingers while you're driving that you never saw before. You know, there's misery at work, and there's complaining. I mean, there is a fickleness when things go our way. We're very, very happy. When things don't go our way, we're very, very sad. That is the way of life. Crowds are like that. You can't trust the crowds. When crowds are moving, you know, we live in a society like the majority is always right. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't teach us the majority is always right. The Bible teaches us that those that are on the side of truth in Jesus Christ, they are right. Not that everything we say is right, but Jesus himself is truth incarnate. And when your life is aligned with him, then that's who you want to follow. That, that is what is right. And here we have a crowd that know the Word, have listened to the Word, they study the Word, but they don't do the Word, unless we just look at them without looking at us, we also need to be warned. Because you're fickle and so am I. And here we are, men and women that, that love the Word of God. Here we are, men and women that listen to You're listening to the Word of God right now. You might even be tuned in on the radio, purposely wanting to listen to the Word of God. You're watching something on television. You're here in the sanctuary. You know the Word. You read the Word. You wake up in the morning. You do your devos. You're seeking the Word. Listen, reading the Word, listening to the Word without doing the Word is not going to help you. You're going to find yourself saying the right things. You're going to find yourself looking right on the outside. But you're going to be filled with lifelessness. You're going to, out of the one mouth, on side of your mouth, you're going to find yourself crying, Hosanna. Maybe your hands lifted up while you're singing, but on the other side of your mouth, you'll be doing and saying things that might even shock you. Listening without doing, James says, is emptiness. Bible study is designed to change your mind. Bible study is designed to change your mind. We're here to learn God's will. We're here to learn God's ways. We're here to learn how to reflect his love in a very loveless world. It's designed to change us because the way we think is how we behave. Now, as pastors, you know, the pastors here, uh, me, the men that I serve alongside of, the lay leaders here, do you know, most of our time, most of our time, if you drill it down to what we do and what God has called us to do, is basically trying to convince people of two things, just two things. Our whole time, I mean, every appointment, every meeting, every prayer, we have, we have a goal of doing just two things. I mean, most of our time is doing just two things, trying to, convince you, trying to convince you of two things. Number one, you might want to jot this down, because if you guys get these, if you get this from a Bible study, you will save us thousands of hours. If you would just get these two things. Number one, this is what we try to convince you of. This is what the Bible says. We just want to commit you this is what the Bible says. You come to us with a question? This is what the Bible says. You have some moral dilemma in your life? This is what the Bible says. You don't know what to do in the gray area? This is what the Bible says. Just believe what the Bible says. This is what it says. No, I don't believe that's what it says. No, it's what it says. It's right there. No, that's just your Bible. Ed. No, get your Bible out. I'll show you. It says it in yours too. This is what the Bible says. I'm telling you, so much of our time is just spent trying to convince you this is what the Bible says. Yeah, but I don't like it. I know, but this is what it says. You know, I don't really want to hear that. I know, but this is what it says. You ask me a question, this is what the Bible says. Yeah, but what's your opinion? Doesn't matter what my opinion is. This is what the Bible says. Yeah, but what should I do here? This is what the Bible says. That's what we, we, I mean, that, I mean, we may not use those words all the time. We may not just like, you know, we have to to deliver it in such a way where it'll be received. We have to, to show you and open, and we'll be patiently walking along the road with you, but I'll tell you, It's that simple. You have an issue in your life, this is what the Bible says. Number two, not only do we want to convince you of what the Bible says, but secondly, we want to convince you to do what the Bible says. Do it. Well, how do I do this what the Bible says, this is what God wants you to do. What do you mean? What does God want me to do? This is what the Bible says, this is what God says, and this is what he wants you to do. I mean, think about it in your own life. How often you're serving someone and you're ministering to someone, and that's what exactly what you're trying to do with people. You're trying to convince them that this is what the Bible says. You don't want to argue with them. I'm not interested in arguing. I'm not interested in getting to some kind of spiritual, theological fight. This is what the Bible says. This is what God wants you to do. And haven't you found it to be true? When you learn what God says and then you apply it in your life, don't things go so much smoother? Don't you avoid so much consequence and difficulty? This is what the Bible says, and this is what God wants you to do. There are thousands of people back in John 12 now that are in Jerusalem. They're learning what the Bible says, but they're failing to do what God wants them to do. It starts out well, and I believe there's some sincerity in some of these waving the palm branches. But for the most part, they don't receive their Messiah. They're fickle. They're up one day, Hosanna, the next day or the next few days, crucify him. And here he is in Jesus in his triumphal entry as a warning to us, verse 16. Notice, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Now I have that highlighted in my Bible because that's an encouraging thing to me personally. Here's a group of people that spent three years with Jesus in person. They, got, they were taught directly from Jesus Christ. They spent every moment, for the most part, morning, noon, and night with the Messiah, with the Savior of the world. They got the best Bible studies, the most accurate, clear understanding of God's word from Jesus himself. But when this is going down, it says, they didn't understand it at first. Because you know, there are things in my life that I don't understand at first. I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and mind. I've dedicated my life to following him. But there are things I don't understand at first. I'm sure it happens with you. Where you're just like, wow, why don't I understand this? You know, for them, this is so easy. They're quoting the scriptures. They know Zechariah. They know the Psalms. I mean, this is what the word says. This is what it means, but they don't get it at first. And and there are times in my life where, you know, God is showing me something. He's revealing something to me, but I don't understand But then a couple weeks later, I go, oh, now I get it. And I'm thinking, man, why didn't I get it two weeks ago? Why is I just getting it now? Well, partly because it's very normal. Partly because it's a normal thing. We're all in the process of learning. We're not going to learn everything right away. We're growing up in the faith. We're growing up in our understanding of the Scriptures. So often, we come to this place where we need to learn... To wait on the Lord because there are things that I don't understand at first. It takes time for things to sink in, for God's will to be revealed. But then notice, his disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then mark these words, then they remembered. Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Then they remembered. You know, I found this so valuable in my own heart, so encouraging to me as of late. You know, in the last couple of years with all the stress and the pressure and the grief, my mind is just like it's not what it used to be. And, and my memory was already bad to begin with, but now it's really bad. So I'm setting up all these, these reminders, and I'm writing things down, and, and I really want to remember, but, but you know, God has given me and given you something where we don't even have to rely upon our memories, We don't even have to rely upon whether we write down some task or we have something in our calendar to remind us. Turn over to John 16, just a couple pages, because we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that the disciples didn't even have. And so I don't have to rely just on my mind. I don't have to be so discouraged because the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So notice in chapter 16, verse 13, look at all the gifts that we have by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, he says, Jesus is speaking, he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit's going to be a guide to us, into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So he's gonna speak, and notice, he will tell you all things to come. Verse 14, he'll glorify me, and he will take of what is mine, and notice, declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. It's a beautiful work of the Spirit. But there's more. Notice chapter 14, verse 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. We're not left on our own. We don't have to be left to our own memories and our own techniques. We have the Holy Spirit actively ministering in our lives. If the Scriptures are confusing to you, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. If they're not making sense right now, you'll remember. Because notice, the helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Yet one more reason why we should be readers of the Bible and we should be listeners of the Bible and Bible study And we should be putting the word of God into our hearts by memorizing it. Why? Because we're giving the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring back things to our remembrance. To bring back things that he has taught us. To use the word of God in our lives. Well, especially like here, the disciples didn't understand, but they did. They didn't understand, but eventually they did. And i just here to say, there are some things in your life today that you don't understand, but the understanding is coming.
0: You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of a study in John's Gospel. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com or you can listen through our app as well. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we also have a podcast. Look for us where you get your podcasts. If you take a brief moment to write or call, you know, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to, and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners, and when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of EM Bounds on Prayer. We know we're to pray, but if you're like many, you don't do it nearly enough. Or when you do pray, it's just a mindless repetition of a phrase you've come to use. Well, this book contains some of E.M. Bound's finest writings on the subject of prayer and will help you see what a blessing communication with God truly is. I think you'll walk away with some valuable insights that you can apply right away to your prayer time. To donate and order this today, call eight seven seven three zero grace That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.